0: In me, no. me, no. my line, Welcome to the Paradigm Shift on 4 Triple Z 102.1 FM You're tuned in to Brisbane's local independent community radio station My name is Andy and I will be on your stereo or whatever device you happen to be listening on for the next hour. Broadcasting on Jagger and Tourable Country, of course, and today on the show, we are going to be talking about wealth inequality and poverty, which are themes that are ever-present. We don't, I suppose, that often talk about it on the Paradigm Shift, but it's ever-present. It's a part of... Our our world generally, people have always hoarded what they can uh, at the expense of others who might need it. And it's certainly a part of our economic system, broadly known as capitalism, that we live in. It's a system of generating wealth, and it does it by exploitation. And as it happens, those who have the wealth, the capital, are able to make more wealth, and those who don't, are uh, forced to sell their labour in order to get enough to survive. That's a, a rough basic description, but anyway, there are things about an economic system that certainly lend themselves to income inequality, and there have been numerous studies over the years to talk about income inequality going up. And one of those studies is somebody we'll be talking to today, Carla Trelaw. She is a researcher with uh, the Union New South Wales, and they've published a study in conjunction with the Australian Council of Social Services about wealth inequality in Australia over the last 20 years. The results probably won't surprise you, but they are illuminating, and it is good to get people doing these studies just so it's written in black and white um, to show how much Wealth inequality is growing Um, and how much more some people in our society have than others. I also spoke to Brooke McHale from Anglicare. They did another illuminating study called the poverty premium, which investigates how actually everything costs more if you're poor. Um, Even though some might think that poor people are buying cheaper things or saving where they can, whereas rich people have more expensive tastes, the reality is that because poor people are more in need or more desperate, they get exploited more by those that sell and by that system that I talked about before. Um, And so that's actually a very good study for illustrating what I think um, a lot of people would feel intuitively, but doesn't often get written down or said by a kind of peer reviewed source. And so I spoke to Brooke McHale as well, and we'll hear that in the second part of the show. So, a lot of researchers today will um, be a little bit more, maybe, dry than the activists I uh, might talk to some other times, but it's very good to talk to these people who are getting the data and who are putting it out there for everybody to see. and. We'll talk about what conclusions they draw. They're a bit more sort of mild um, than others would be in their criticisms because they're just researchers. And also, I guess, like many in our society, we just live in this system and it's so hard to see any alternative, especially any realistic one. You know, you get your average um, student Marxist is certain that they have all the answers, but... It's very hard to figure out any other way that we could organise things. So there's a little bit of systemic critique, but ultimately just uh, talking about government policies that could be better is the main conclusions to be drawn. And so I think we have to work on other things. Waiting for the government to fix these things is a strategy that is not likely to get us to a point of more equality for various reasons. But anyway... uh, A very illuminating couple of studies and interviews. So stay tuned and let's start off with Carla Trelaw.
1: I'm Carla Trelaw. I'm from the Social Policy Research Centre at UNSW in Sydney.
0: And you've recently published a report into wealth inequality in the last two decades in Australia. I guess we'll talk more about the findings, but can you start off by saying why you thought this uh, report was important to do?
1: Yeah, so we work with the Australian Council of Social Service, ACOS, and uh, in in a partnership about poverty and inequality. So we put out these reports periodically, looking at the latest available data to see what's changed, what's happening, what are the trends in um, elements of poverty and inequality. So we've got data over the last 20 years. It's a, a moment to look at the findings and go, okay, that's what's happened to our. Australian society over the two decades, are we happy with that or do we want to think about what policy resets or tweaks we could think about for the next 20 years or 30 or 50 years?
0: Yes, well, I suppose we should go on now to what are the findings of the report, what's happening with Australian wealth inequality?
1: Over the last 20 years, wealth in Australia has grown for everybody but not at the same rates and as you can imagine... The richer have got richer and, and the, the less well off haven't fared so well. So what we saw there was that over that 20 years that the highest 20% of, um, households, their wealth had increased by 82%, which was four times the increase of the lowest 20% of households, which, um, their wealth grew by 20%. So that means that On average, Australians have $1.2 million of wealth. That's great, but it doesn't mean everybody's a millionaire. It means that wealth is concentrated in very interesting and important ways for us to think about. So the highest 20%, looking at those again, their average wealth is $3.2 million, obviously well above the $1.2 million average, so $3.2 million at the top the lowest 20% of households, their average wealth is $36,000. So we've got the wealthiest in our country with 90 times the wealth of the lowest 20% of households. That creates a really interesting thing for us to think about in society. Are we happy with that, uh, that inequality, that level of disparity between those with the most and those with the least?
0: And so, what factors have you found have led to this increasing inequality?
1: Mm. So, this inequality has grown over over twenty years in interesting ways. So, particularly uh, superannuation uh, and housing, uh, both ownership of one's own home and investment properties, and to stay with investment properties for a moment, we sometimes hear talk about oh it's it's mum and dad investors from middle Australia who are um, benefiting from investment properties. But our data doesn't hold that up at all. The vast majority, like 82% of all investment property value is held again by that 20% of people at the top. And the same with shares, it's about uh, almost about 80% as well held by that top 20%. So if you're really thinking about mum and dad investors as this sort of engine room of, of growth in investment properties, that's not what our data shows. So superannuation and housing has been the, the things that have grown that wealth over 20 years.
0: So those two things, I guess, money invested in business and money invested in property, mm. um, in old-fashioned kind of economic language, this would be called capital and a way that people in Australia often tended to talk about economics was between workers who earn their money from wages and capital who earned their money from this invested money. And your research sort of shows it's still a thing but it's not common language anymore. What do you think does this um, lead us to a, a kind of old school analysis of how wealth is distributed?
1: Interesting that you say that. Uh, I've got a bit of a different spin on it. One of the themes we were talking about from this data was um, wealth begets wealth. So, regardless of how it comes to you through superannuation, and, and superannuation is great, right? We, we, lots of us are going to rely on that to fund our retirements. But the settings within superannuation, are really not geared to taking account of people who have time out of the workforce uh, for caring or raising children or through illness or job loss or whatever the situation might be. It's it, they're really designed for someone who starts in the workforce at a young age and continues full time across their lifespan. So we need to be thinking about <clears throat> excuse me. We need to be thinking about the uh, taxation settings within superannuation. That, um, that at the moment they're, they're all the same for everybody and we, we need to be thinking about how we can benefit people who are doing it tough at, at that lower end of income. And I think the other thing about wealth begetting wealth is um, around housing and uh, property. Every day we see uh, headlines where some families are able to help out their adult children with the purchase of a home and there'll be many families who just don't have those resources to help out their adult children. So we're creating further inequality right now where we, we set up some young people for um, for uh, stepping onto the property investment ladder, which we know builds more wealth over time. And uh, an, another class appear of, of people, the rentiers, who are going to take a long time to be able to, if ever, afford to, uh, buy a house and, and they'll be renting over the very long period. So the settings we have now, um, about capital gains tax and, um, in losses through investment properties are, are things we've been thinking about how we can understand how they are part of this picture of this disparity in wealth inequality that builds over time. And, and, again, taking this moment now when we've got 20 years to look back to think about what, what do we want in 20 years in the future.
0: I guess an underlying question in all of this is why is inequality something that we should be worried about?
1: Inequality is um, not just a, an abstract term or word. It has major implications on all of us. So across the world we see that um more equal countries have better results on things that we really worry about and care about as a country, like rates of mental ill health, life expectancy, infant mortality, obesity, outcomes from education. All of those things are better when the country is more equal. So our, our health and social issues that we already spend a lot of money trying to fix. Are made worse the more unequal we get. Secondly, you know the the our economy is also affected by inequality. Inequality stymies economic growth because people at the the bottom of the um, income and wealth chain don't have the capacity to participate in in the economy to the extent that they could uh, if our inequality was reduced. And third, the last thing, inequality can create really deep resentment and lack of trust in uh, governments and, and lead to, as we've seen around the world, social and political instability. So health and social issues, the economy, stability, these are all things that are impacted by inequality. And that's why we're drawing attention to these data now to say, okay, we can see the patterns of the last 20 years. Do we want to keep repeating those for the next 20? Or do we want to tweak policy settings to think about a different pattern that we could produce over the next couple of decades.
0: You mentioned there that wealth um, begets wealth, which is a pretty simple explanation of how this has happened, but it's a pretty dramatic amount of inequality. And um, you mentioned there, I guess, some government policies that are, are kind of set up that benefit the rich unequally in how much they benefit the poor. I guess is that a part of it as well the um, political influence of wealth and also the people that are in politics often belong to the the mm. higher strata of wealth. Is, is this something that um, is a factor in this?
1: Yeah, so we, we'd love to see um, all of us would love to see politicians that reflect the the bigger Australian society and there's there's definitely people um, who've entered politics with a, a range of experiences. So that's great and, and we should applaud that and encourage lots of people to become interested and in, involved in politics. I think the uh, the other thing we can draw perspective from is these, these last couple of years of COVID experience and the changes in social policy that were made to um, – Ensure that people who were losing jobs overnight, or, or losing work hours, and at, at risk of poverty, were taken care of. So, as a as a society, we think that's what government should do: is take care of people during tough times. And so, um, increases to Job Seeker and Job Keeper were made so people weren't um, having to rely on the very low base rate of unemployment payments. So that change in social policy was kind of a natural experiment. So overnight, uh, more than 600,000 people were lifted out of poverty. It's one of the biggest changes and impacts of social policy over the last decades. As those uh, payments or increased payments were wound back, poverty rebounded back to pre-pandemic levels. So it's an interesting thing to think about. Like When there's a will, there's a way, and uh, when we can see that uh, we want to take care of people who are doing it tough. There is the choice to be made by governments of the day to say where we're going to put our investment. For us, we're trying to make the argument that both poverty and inequality affects all of us. It affects those things I mentioned before, health and social problems, the economy overall and stability. So these are the, the reasons we're putting forward to say uh we want to look at these wealth inequality patterns to think really carefully about the settings in our social policy and what they might deliver for us over the next 20 years, Great, even greater inequalities that exacerbate those health and social problems that are also very costly, or do we want to reset and think about ways that we can uh, particularly look after people who are doing it tough?
0: Yeah, which leads on to the big question, I guess, of what, things can be done to uh, make sure that in another 20 years, wealth inequality hasn't skyrocketed again?
1: Yes, that's the question. And, and there are a number of options. And, you know, one of the uh, policy settings we talk about a lot is the rate of uh, payment for unemployment, unemployment support. So that has increased since COVID, but it's still quite below the aged pension rate, which is... Um, or what we consider that people should be able to have a very modest standard of living on. So with unemployment benefits and youth allowance and other payments being very low, it means that people are slipping further and further behind and unable to do things like get the car registered so they can go and and look for work or put um, petrol in the car, uh, even by buy food and meals, go to the doctor when they're needed. So we're really forcing people to make very difficult choices right now about um, what's the priority. And that, over time, builds and builds and builds that picture of inequality, while at the top end we have um, settings which really give advantage to people who are already really well off and uh, to think about whether we could do modest changes to taxation policy on superannuation, for example, or capital gains tax, modest changes there that would help us spread the benefit of our fabulous country to um, to people who are not doing so well and could do with a bit of a break. To And then also that gives us a different shaped society and economy in the decades to come that is more equal and uh, gives us all those other benefits.
0: Those kind of changes, modest changes, when they've been talked about in recent years, they politically have not been Mm. very popular and obviously there's a big media push against them. What do you think is the likelihood of these actually happening and and what do you think would need to happen to enable politicians to be brave enough to do it?
1: Yes, it does take that courage, doesn't it? so some of the um, suggestions that are put forward recently have been ones that uh, impact only a small proportion of the population, yet lots of people have been worried about it. And one of the, the tools we've got on our website is a, um, a calculator. So you can go in and say this is my household type, you know, with a number of people of, of different ages and, and uh, in, in terms of working age and work out where you sit in relation to the rest of the population. So people often underestimate how well off they are. So they, they think they're an average income earner when in fact they're, they're further up the scale. So I think part of the job is educating people about, uh, where they are on, on the distribution of incomes in Australia and what this looks like, which is part of the work we're trying to do with these reports is uh intervene in the public conversation about income and wealth and inequality. So giving people the, the information, building up that um that discussion so we can support those courageous actions of politicians to say actually we don't want a, a society that keeps leaving behind some of us. We we want everybody to come along on this journey with us and, and benefit. And yes, um people are working hard at, at all income levels and uh, we should uh, not denigrate people by just saying, oh, they, they just need to work harder and, and they'll succeed. It's just not like that when policy settings can really stymie people's opportunities to get ahead. So educating people about where they sit, educating the public about who really is affected by these changes, um, modest changes in, in particular types of areas, so that we can build the the public awareness and conversation about these and why we need to be changing. The impact of inequality is significant. It does cost us already. And if we continue to build a more and more and more unequal society, we'll have increasing costs of dealing with increasing mental ill health, uh, lowering life expectancy, um, increased... Uh, obesity, poor school performance, um, greater imprisonment, all these health and social outcomes that we see around the world grow and grow and grow with um, more unequal societies.
0: All right. Thanks very much, Carla. If people want to find out more or read the report, how can they do that?
1: Yes. Uh, search for Poverty and Inequality in Australia and you'll find our website. Our reports are there. That calculator is on the website. And uh, you, you're most welcome to get in touch with us and, and keep the conversation going.
0: Okay, thanks very much, Carla. Thank you. You are listening to Community Radio here. 4 Z is the station, the paradigm shift is the show. And we just had Carla Trelaw, a researcher from the uh, Uni New South Wales working with the Australian Council of Social Services on a study about wealth inequality in Australia and um, somebody summed it up a long, long time ago quite succinctly, the rich get richer while the poor get relatively poorer. Uh, (laughs) um, Sometimes, you know, they have found that general income has gone up but at a very different rate depending on where you are on the spectrum of wealth. Now, I've got another study um, that has been recently done by Anglicare. This one's very interesting and quite illuminating, I think. A lot of people would be surprised by what it finds. They've called it the poverty premium and basically it's finding out how and explaining how everything costs more if you are poor actually to get by, get through in your daily day life and it, they've worked this out in a lot of different factors that influence this and so let's have a listen to Brooke McHale um, to find out more.
2: I'm Brooke McHale and I'm the National Policy Director at Anglicare Australia.
0: And as part of that role you've also been part of authoring a report called The Poverty Premium. Can you tell us first off why you thought there was a need for this report?
2: Yeah, really good question. So I think we've seen so many price increases in the last several years, but particularly in the last 12 months. We know people out in the community and accessing Anglicare services around the country are facing a cost of living crisis, that's in housing and food and energy and all sorts of areas. and. You know, we, we've seen research before, um, and we we hear from our our members and and community members out there that you know that it actually costs more to be poor. That people are paying more for these essential services than um, than people on higher incomes. So we thought, given this cost of living crisis, it was really timely to to look at the the areas where where these poverty premiums apply and how they're impacting people right now.
0: So yeah, it's a bit. Uh, counterintuitive, I suppose, the idea that um, being poor costs more money than being rich and maybe having more expensive tastes. Mm -hmm. Um, Can you tell us about the the findings of the report?
2: Yeah, sure. So, Basically what we did is we looked at six areas of essential services, so things that people really don't have much choice but to pay for. You can't kind of cut back too much. There's not too much flexibility where you can say, oh, well, I just won't buy food this month or I uh, I won't pay my energy bill or I won't drive my car to work. Um, so we looked at six essential services and we... We sort of tested them, so we looked at examples, um, and in each of those six areas, we found that there were penalties for people on lower incomes. Um, they were paying more for these same essential services and the same kinds of products and services than people on higher incomes, and there were a range of different reasons why that was happening. So sometimes it's that you know people on lower incomes and with with sort of less less money available can't buy in bulk, so they're paying more for groceries. Um, um, they are often driving older cars that are less fuel efficient so they're paying more to travel the same distance to work as someone um, with a newer car a more fuel efficient car um, we found that car insurance is so much more expensive there's a there's a really significant 60 percent poverty premium in the example we've looked at just for living in a lower socioeconomic area. So in a poorer area, people were paying for the same car, same kind of property, people paying 60% more for their car insurance. Um, also things like not being able to pay in advance or pay up front for things, wanting to pay by instalments, all those kind of things were penalties. They were People are paying more and they all added up to the, this poverty premium uh, that we found across all six essential areas.
0: So I... I guess one interesting question is, it, did this just accidentally work out like this, or do you think that there's a way of our economic relations existing that has intentionally done this?
2: Yeah, really good question. Um, look, I think the reality is that we are reliant on market forces, So, and the market assumes that people can shop around uh that the products will be available to them and that that's not how it works so these market forces are really working against lower income people if they you know i know how confusing the energy market and energy tariffs and offers and things are for me and i kind of work in this space like i look at um i look at energy policy so if you don't have the time because you're working multiple jobs and have caring responsibilities if you don't have the time to shop around and compare energy products if you don't have you know the capability or the language skills or the um the level of literacy required to to understand the complexities of those kind of things then you can't shop around so you're probably going to be paying more than you might have to be you probably haven't got the the best or the cheapest offer Um, But the market assumes that you will. So, and the same with things like, you know, with things like buying in bulk. The market assumes that you can go to different supermarkets and compare the prices of things, but that's not the reality for lots of people. If you don't have a car, you don't have the time, you don't have the money to buy up front. So in answer to your question, um, although we may not have designed it with this in mind, it, it is the reality of how, Uh, the system and our reliance on market forces works and they are working against people on low incomes.
0: One of the things that was in your report that you sort of didn't mention then that I'm quite interested in is about access to credit, that rich Mm -hmm. people can access credit at much lower rates than poor people can. And this is quite a serious issue really when it comes to entrenching cycles of poverty, isn't it?
2: Yeah, really good point. That was another area that we looked at. And we looked at what would happen if, you know, if you needed $2,000 in an emergency. So car breakdown or health emergency is all sorts of reasons why people might, you know, might need to access credit. And the reality is that the, the best credit offers and the best are for people with good credit history. Um, and if you're on a low income, you, you may not have much choice. You might have moved around a lot. You might have had a history of sort of insecure jobs. So you might have a, a complicated work history. Sometimes people have, who've experienced things like family violence, um, then that can impact their ability to access credit. So the choices available for people on low incomes or who've had those kind of experiences are fewer and they can end up having to rely on things like payday lenders or other products where the fees are high, there's lots of penalties if you miss a payment, um, you know, not good deals, and in some cases quite, um, quite terrible deals, uh, they're the only options that are available for, for people in some circumstances. Whereas if you've got a, a long-term steady job and you haven't moved around much and you're on a high income, you can go and get that $2,000 on a low-rate credit card, Um, And it's going to be a much cheaper product. You're going to pay much less money in the end for that $2,000 than if you've had to rely on a a payday loan um, or some other kind of high-interest product because that's the only one that's available to you. So um, I think we found about a 40% um, poverty premium comparing a low-interest credit card on a $2,000 loan to a a payday loan. So people would pay 40% more um, if they had to choose that payday loan product
0: one of the things that has to be drawn out of this report is that um it's not just that each individual product costs more it's that if over a long period this really kind of entrenches inequality income inequality and then there's other social factors as well that come from um that kind of entrenched inequality as well isn't there yeah
2: 100 percent right andy i um i think the thing that that we feel like the report really showed was the kind of cumulativeness. So this is not just one one type of, of product or service that costs more. It was really across all the ones that we looked at. So, you know, they, these poverty premiums are, are creeping in and they're applying to people everywhere. Um, and I think the other thing that we really reflected on in the report is is th- the reality of that is sometimes, you know, in the media or by government or there's this um, sort of perception that, that people on on low incomes are struggling because, you know, they've made poor choices. But the reality is they're having to make... Um, good choices all the time they're having to be more resilient and more prudent and more savvy with their money than people on higher incomes because on every from every angle they're having these um, these these premiums and these penalties uh, coming at them when they already have less you know if you're on a higher income and cost of living goes up or, or you need access to credit you can make savings somewhere you might cut down on going out or going to the movies or maybe you don't you know go away on a holiday this summer but for people who are living on centrelink or or on low incomes they they never had those luxuries they were always living um you know money was always incredibly tight they were always having to be super savvy and watch every dollar and and living below the poverty line so they don't have those options of making those kind of um you know of, of, of exchanging a trip to the movies they don't have that option they're having to cut back on on food or turn off you know turn off the heating or air conditioning um or cut back on insurance um which really sets them up for for future risks i guess um so so that that's one of the things that we really wanted to draw out in this report that that it's it's the market and the system that's, that's really working against people um, and kind of setting them up to fail in lots of ways
0: What's been the response to the report I mean uh, you've given it to media and presumably as well to um, government figures, what have people said?
2: Yeah there's definitely been lots of interest um, and I think I think we're Everybody, everybody is feeling the the cost of living crisis at the moment, and so there was something in this report that resonated for everyone. So we've had a really strong response to it, um, and I think coming on the heels of things like the Robo Debt Royal Commission, these kind of reports and conversations are helping people to understand that. Poverty is a policy choice, it's, and it's, it's a result of, of the systems and the markets. It's, it's not a result of choices that any individual person makes. So we've had a really, a really
0: positive response to that. Now a lot of the report is not just taken up by describing the problem, but you do have a number of recommended solutions. Can you tell us about some of them?
2: Yeah, sure. So I guess the the number one solution to the problem of the poverty premium is lifting people out of poverty. So if people didn't live in poverty, the poverty premium and the poverty penalties wouldn't be such a big deal. So the number one recommendation that we make in this report is to raise the rate of JobSeeker and other Centrelink-related payments above the poverty line, so nobody's living in poverty um, and and having to, to experience these premiums over and over again. And similarly, making sure that the minimum wage is set at a level that is livable, where people can afford the essentials of rent and food and insurance and energy. So they're kind of the the two big um, recommendations from this report. Uh, We also look at a range of ways that we can reduce the, the burden and the impact of poverty premiums, and that's things like... You know, uh, making sure that people on low incomes and living in rental properties have access to solar panels, so that they can pay less for energy, the way that um, that higher income people who can afford to install and pay upfront for panels can. Looking at low income insurance products, so that people have options to um, to insure their their homes and and cars. Things like investing in energy assistance brokerage and financial counselling services, so people that that need support with their finances who need help um, in doing those things like comparing products so that there's options available so there's a range of ways that we can reduce the impacts of the poverty premium but what we really need to do is uh, is lift people out of poverty in the first place
0: so most of those um, responses and other ones that you've got about proposed stage three tax cuts and things like that they're about government intervention into the market i mean do you see that as the only solution, or do you think that there are ways outside of um, government intervention that things could become a bit more equitable?
2: Uh, look, I think government does have control over a lot of the the levers that make a big difference in this space, so things like they set the rate of, of social security payments, and as you just mentioned, government is committed, uh, is continuing to move towards the stage three tax cuts which is actually putting money back into the pockets of higher income Australians so so there's really significant things that government can do um, to address this and to support people in poverty and lift people out of poverty there are some things that other parts of the system can do to reduce the burden there are products that um, you know energy providers and you know uh, telecommunications providers could provide that would um, support low-income people, so things like a, a low-income broadband product. But I think government is, is where the major changes are.
0: If people are interested in reading the report or finding out more, how can they do that?
2: Well, you can get on the Anglicare Australia website um, or have a look at our social media.
0: All right, thanks very much, Brooke.
2: Thanks, Andy. Bye-bye.
0: We are just were listening to Brooke McHale, who is from Anglicare and wrote a report, The Poverty Premium... A lot of interest. We've had a few people texting in. I think a lot of people are really recognizing the truth in that report and a lot of people struggling right now. And, yeah, it's a definitely a situation that we're in where it always is the case because as we've said at different points in the show and I said at the start, this is the economic system that we live in. It is a system of exploitation. It's not designed to distribute goods and services to everybody who needs them. It is designed to extract profits out of um, whatever materials and our labour is one of those materials that can be put to work to make profits and it does that you know, automatically. It does, that's how the whole thing is set up. And so money comes out of the poorest people and goes to those who are investing wealth in. And somebody was talking about, they're not sure if it's true, but McDonald's and Hungry Jacks cost more in lower socioeconomic communities. I'm not sure that's true, but I do know that in a lot of places, it is much harder to get fresh fruit and veg and that Ultimately, people are forced to eat these kind of junk foods and things like that because actually it's all they can access. And as well, people in insecure conditions, often it's hard to cook, um, to store food, and yeah, to buy even a week's worth of groceries. You've got a little bit of money, you buy whatever meal you can. And so that was one of the things that we were talking about. Um, I think before we end the show, I guess... These reports, they talk very much about government policy and it's the way of sort of NGOs and universities report writers is that they table these reports, they put the information out there and they think that somebody in government will do something about it or that the Australian public in voting will do something about it. We've just seen in in recent years that it's just not that simple policies that could help on this, haven't turned out, probably they've been hammered by the media. politicians that you think will represent you are compromised by the system and so I think we've got to look for other ways to work around it together Um, and there's various organizations in Brisbane doing that Uh, some doing what they term mutual aid so people just purely helping each other out because we all need helping out at some point in our life so you have groups like Anti-Poverty Network um, which are trying to provide information and basic necessities and food for people that are uh, broke. Things like the Brisbane Tool Library, which means that you can borrow some of the things that you might need without having to buy everything. And then there's groups that are trying to use the power of collective organizing. Um, Southeast Queensland Union of Renters is one example. Um, and I think trade unions, of course, are another example of, and historically, one of the ways that those at the bottom of the the food chain of wealth extraction, those who uh, just have to go and work and get paid and are dependent on selling their labour. One of the ways we can get a bigger cut of the pie... The profit pie is by organising collectively in a union. And of course, there's still lots of unions out there and they're still out there doing it and union membership has plummeted as we've been fed the myth of kind of each person out for their own and each person can be an entrepreneur and an investor and whatever. And the idea of collectively organising has suffered, but those unions are still out there. And in terms of solutions, well, we need to talk about systemic things and Um, if we're going to be real, of course, we also need to be realistic about what we have abilities to do, which is not to straight away overthrow the system, but there's deep seated reasons why some people are poor in our society and some are rich. And so, you know, I think throwing around some more ambitious ideas about how we can say limit profits with taxes or by, uh, expanding the number of non-profits when it comes to providing services and things like that. Um, And rather than providing tax cuts to the middle classes, which has been the policy of both parties we've recently seen in government, um, ways that we can start uh, taxing people to a bit more equitably. And so maybe taxing inheritances a bit more to stop wealth just accruing at the top end, things like that. Anyway, there's lots of things to do. We're at of time of the paradigm shift. We won't be able to solve all the issues of wealth inequality today, but we'll be back next week and we'll keep on bringing you uh, voices who uh, see other possibilities for our society other than what we're stuck with. I'll see you next week.